All right, good morning again. My name is Matt Party, one of the pastors here with the H2O Network. It is always a blast to come back here and see some familiar faces. Love what you guys are doing here and your growth. It is really awesome. And what a beautiful sunny day, huh? Yes. I'm sure the students are in a pretty good mood. I hope your school year is over and you're entering into the summer months. I know for my wife and I, we love this time of the year. Uh, getting to sleep in with our kids and hang out with our kids in the summer is very fun. And so we're pumped and uh, excited to be here, my wife and I. So I'm going to be sharing a message today that I'm very excited about in our Scent series. This is the last week of the Scent series. But I have to be honest with you. I'm a little bit tentative whenever I share this because in all honesty, you know, sometimes you get up and you talk about good relationships and everybody's like nodding their head. Yeah, yeah, that we need to hear that. That's awesome. Or I'll be talking about how important it is to love one another. And like people are like, yeah, we love each other. That's good. Talk about the gospel, forgiveness, good marriages. You get a lot of head nods. When I do this message, I can tell people are like, I'm not doing that. That's totally not going to happen. I have talked about being sent and I have talked about outreach and evangelism and how important it is for us to take a step and share our faith with other people. And people literally will come up afterward and say, Pastor, that was a great message. Totally not going to happen. Ain't going to happen. But hey, good try, you know. So I'm a little tentative in sharing this because I know this can be a very awkward thing for people. And for many Christians, they've, they never take that step of faith to actually try to influence other people to become Christians. So I recognize that this morning. I, I get it. I know that it brings butterflies, but I ask you as I pray right now before we launch in to, don't, to not sit there and think, I'm just going to reject all this, you know. Ask God to open up your heart to what He has to say. I'm going to share a lot more verses than I normally do just because of that. So this isn't by my authority or this isn't about um, you know, me being bold and challenging you to do something. The Word makes this really clear to us. The Word is challenging to us. And when we're really honest and we're, we're getting alone with God and we're open to His Spirit, we know God is going to challenge us to do bold things. We know that's the kind of God He is, right? He doesn't want us to sit around our whole lives and be comfortable, but God is constantly challenging us to do hard things. And so let's open up our hearts to Him and hear what He has to say as we pray here today. Lord, thank You so much for this opportunity on this beautiful day to be together. God, we are so thankful for the love and the unconditional love forgiveness that you pour out upon us that have placed our faith in you lord where would we be god it's 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 upsetting at times to think where we would be without your love and your forgiveness and your guidance god thank you thank you for changing us thank you for being in our lives thank you for being a rock for us thank you for being uh, that steady constant thing that we need more than anything else in this world you're there for us and we're so grateful god would you bring us uh to a place lord where our hearts are open to what you have to say and uh, and just teach us and give us courage and give us your wisdom today as we come before you in jesus name amen all right so as i'm talking about this 
uh, today, I was thinking, you know, why don't I just share the main questions that you typically ask us pastors or us staff over the years. Whenever we talk about being sent and sharing your faith with other people, people have objections, people have questions, people have concerns, people have fears. And so we've heard those over the years, and I thought, you know what I'm going to do this morning? I'm just going to share the top four fears or the top four comments that typically people say in regard to this. And I thought that maybe as I'm sharing on these things, you'll be sitting there and think, yeah, that's where I'm at. That, I hope that this connects with you, and you think, that's how I'm feeling right now. And if God could help me get through that, I could take this big step of obedience. And so first of all, you know, we... We, um, we think of Jesus' life in this series that we're doing. And really, if you look at Jesus' life, the bookends of his life, the very first thing he did was he called some men to follow him. And do you remember what the very first thing he said to them? So they knew right off the bat what they were getting into. When he called some of those fishermen, what was that thing that he said to them very early on? He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So these guys knew right off the bat, okay, what is he talking about? And he, he explained that throughout his whole life. And at the very end of his life, after he rose from the dead, he gave us that great commission of what this whole series is about in Matthew 28. At the end of his ministry, the other bookend, he said, I want you to go and make disciples of all the nations. And everything in between those two bookends, Jesus illustrated what that means to go out and influence people to follow Jesus. And the disciples that followed him would have got it. This is a part of our lives. This is a part of our ministry. And so that's the premise that we come before him. And, and here's the number one thing that, that I hear in regard to that, that the pushback, even though that we know that's what Jesus stood for, here's the first one. I'm not really sure Jesus is the only way to heaven. I've heard many people say that. Sometimes people are thinking that, and it's hard for them to be honest that that's really the thing. Because if you're around the Christian church or you're going to church, it's kind of hard at times to be honest that this is one of your doubts. You think, I don't want to go tell people about Jesus. I'm having doubts in my own life of whether this is true. And if you're sitting here this morning, and, and this is one of your fears, this is one of your concerns, I just want to tell you, you're welcome here. You know, we know that people are in different places in their journey. We know that some people come from different backgrounds, and, and you're thinking, you know, in this age of tolerance, and we need to respect all religions, and we need to be kind to people, and we need to big, give everybody a big hug. You know, it's hard to admit or hard to say with this capital T truth that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And I just want to assure you that it's great to be tolerant. We should be tolerant and respectful of people. That is so important. Jesus was like that. But that doesn't discount the truth of the gospel. We can be tolerant and respectful of people and still believe in some dogmatic things that Jesus spoke very clearly on. When Jesus walked this earth, He was very bold. He was very accepting, but He was very bold. And He said crazy things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. He said, I'm the bread. 
I'm the door. I'm the way. You know, he said all these really bold statements that people thought he is either crazy and we need to kill him or this is the Lord. As C.S. Lewis, the great author, said, Lord, liar, lunatic. He was either really the Lord. He was either really speaking the truth that he was the only way to heaven or he was lying his whole life or he was a crazy person. He didn't even know what he was saying. You really have to settle in on one of those three things. But in our age of tolerance, it says, well, you know, Jesus is just one of those great religious leaders. He was a good guy. You know, he, he, he taught and he, he healed people and he led people to this, this spiritual, you know, nebulous thing up in the sky. Really, the Bible doesn't teach that at all. Here's something that Peter said who walked closely with Jesus. If anybody got the message that Jesus was sharing, Peter was one of them in Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. This was one of those early verses that I memorized as a young Christian that I encourage you to meditate on. Peter walked with him. And these were the things that Jesus said to him. If there was another way for mankind to be reconciled to God, Jesus would have pointed us that way. But Jesus said, we have a sin problem. We are all messed up and broken, and we need forgiveness. And when Jesus died on the cross for you and I, he wanted to provide a way for you and I to become blameless before God to become white as snow, to be reconciled through what he did, not what we do in our day in and day out life. And so this salvation isn't found anywhere else. It's only in Jesus. There's no other name, there's no other way given to mankind by which, by which we must be saved from our place of sin. Peter later on goes on into Acts 10, you know, he was a timid fisherman. When Jesus was arrested, Peter went and hid. He was scared. He was afraid he was going to be punished or killed. And then all of a sudden, when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he became this bold man. And they, they, they beat him. They beat Peter and told him, you need to shut up. You need to stop saying this. And Peter said, I can't stop saying this. This is the truth. I have to keep preaching this message and Acts. 10, he says this, He commanded us to preach, Peter referring to Jesus, to the people and to testify that He, Jesus, is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about Him, that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. You know, this is such a great passage because it says, Peter is saying all the prophets of the Old Testament, all these prophets for hundreds and hundreds of years that's recorded in the Old Testament that have been prophesying of the coming Messiah, been, they've been talking about Jesus. So these Jew, Jewish people would be hearing this saying, you're saying that all the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. And Peter's saying, yes. He, these prophets testify about Jesus that if people believe in Him, He is the forgiveness of sins. That was such a bold statement to make. And you know, for some of you that, 
that think about uh, things like apologetics, which just mean like, why do we believe? Why, why in our logical mind do we believe in Christianity? Why do we take this step of faith? It's not a step of blind faith. It's a step of faith in the evidence that God has given us. Why do we believe what we believe? We call that apologetics. And one of my favorite apologetics and, and many others is the prophecies of the Old Testament. There are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that tell us what the Messiah was going to be like and who he was going to be. And Jesus fulfills all these prophecies that took place hundreds of years before him. That has got to get our attention. And so when we talk about these prophecies, we talk about the witness of the changed lives of the disciples, we can even you know, start putting together um, some really logical proofs that something significant happened. And if you like that kind of stuff, if you're interested in that and you're still figuring out this first thing of like, man, this is a big thing to say that Jesus is the only way, I encourage you to read some of that stuff. That movie that just came out, The Case for Christ, it's a great book that I've read. I haven't seen the movie yet, but I want to see it when it comes out on DVD. And it's about a guy's journey, an atheist's journey to try to disprove this whole thing. And he came to faith, believing that it was so, it made so much sense that Jesus was the only way. Let's read one more in 1 Timothy chapter 2. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, there's one God And then here's us, mankind. There's only one person. There's only one mediator between us and God. That's Jesus Christ. He's the only one that died for your sins. He's the only one that rose again to prove that he was God. And he gave his life as a ransom for you and I. Because we had something against us that we couldn't pay for. We were too broken. We were too sinful. And Jesus says, I got this. I got this for you. What you owe, I have it because I love you. And I don't want you to spend eternity away from me. And I love you so much, I'm going to give my life as a ransom for you. And that is the key for you and I to go to heaven. And Paul says, this has been testified. This has been witnessed by all these people that saw him raised from the dead. So when we talk about this bold statement, and again, we're, we're sitting there thinking, I don't know if I want to share my faith because I'm not sure if this is true. I don't want to offend people. There's a lot of world religions out there. And a lot of people in, in the world with these different world religions say, you know, can't we all just get along? Maybe if we find enough common threads, we could believe that we're all worshiping the same gods. I've heard that many times. I'm sure that you've heard that many, many times. And that would be a great idea. It would be a great thought. But here's the heart of it. Here's the truth of it. It doesn't take you more than 15 minutes of studying world religions to realize there are really clear contradictions between these world religions. There's no way to reconcile all of these. We believe Jesus is God. We believe Jesus rose from the dead. Other religions find that to be heretical, that we would call Jesus God. There are other world religions that say Jesus for sure did not raise from the dead. 
We believe in one God and in three persons in the Trinity. Other world religions believe in many gods. Other world religions believe that you and I are God. And if we would just realize that we were God, all of our problems would be solved. And you see, there isn't any way to reconcile these. We have to pick. We have to choose what we believe God is telling us is the right way. And the Bible makes that really clear, that we can speak with confidence that Jesus is the only way. The second thing that I hear a lot, um, and maybe you've felt this way too, is, is this question, I, I kind of see it when we're, when we're talking to people, is do I really have to do this? Are you telling me that to be a Christian or to be a good Christian or whatever, you know, do I really have to do this? Have you ever had, for those of you uh, that are older and you have children, have you ever told your kids, hey, it's time to go to bed. It's time to brush your teeth. And they're like, do we have to? No, no, you don't have to. I was just kind of throwing that out as a suggestion. (laughs) Our kids ask us all the time, you know, do I have to do that? Is that... You know, they, they kind of plead with us. I'd really love it if you'd make me not do that. And we do the same thing with God in all kinds of areas of our lives, but probably especially this one. We can look to the heavens. We can open up the scripture and say, God, do I really have to do this? I would love it if just the pastors had to do this or the staff. You know, they're in ministry. Isn't that kind of their job? They get paid to do that. Can't they just do that for all of us? That would be great. I will come to church, I will donate some money to church, and I would love it if everybody else had to do it, but not me. But here's the thing, we're all called to it. The need is so great in this world that there's no way that just the pastors or the staff or some really high-level Christians can do it. Every one of us is needed to answer this call. In Romans 10, it says this, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? You see, this this passage here in this whole chapter is talking about this great need that people need to believe in Christ. How are they going to believe if no one's ever told them? And how is the people at your work and in your dorm or on your neighborhood or your friends or family, how are they going to know if no one has ever even explained to them the simple truths of the gospel? And it is amazing living here in America that, you know, we just think, well, this is kind of a Christian nation. Maybe, maybe not. You know, how could people grow up and not know about Jesus? Well, it's true, this Matthew 9.37 is true all over the world. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There is a harvest of people around us that don't know Jesus, and they don't understand the gospel. Most of the people in our sphere, you and I, believe that they're probably going to heaven, if there is a heaven in their mind, by them being good. That's the gospel that they believe. Maybe some of you that are still wrestling through what is true, maybe you're still wrestling with that truth is your gospel is, if I'm just a good person, I will go to heaven. That is not what the gospel is all about. The gospel is actually the opposite of that. The Bible says that none of us are good enough. 
and that we need a solution. We need Jesus. It says that uh, I was reading recently 30% um, the non-Christian phase and non-affiliated just in our own country. I think that number is way elevated when we just think about um, just many churches that don't believe that the Bible's God's word or, or churches that don't believe in, uh, in the foundational truths of uh, evangelical Christians. But if we just looked at non-Christian faiths and atheists and agnostics in America, right in our own country, there's a hundred million of them. A hundred million people in our own country that are not affiliated or even associated with any kind of Christian church. And so there's this huge need everywhere we go. And you know, I would fall into this many times, and, and maybe you have, is, is we kind of see the exterior of people, and we assume like they know, or we assume that their lives are good, or that they're, you know, they don't have any kind of spiritual questions, or they're all just doing well. And we can look at people and have this, this misconception that they're okay spiritually. I know that people probably looked at my life, and I've looked at others and had that same kind of misconception. But inside myself, I was so needy of spiritual truths. I was so, so hungry for it. And I'm so thankful that um, you know a couple guys came and shared with me. Um, this one guy was... Uh, was training this other guy here, and uh, I was at Bowling Green State University as a freshman, and uh, I was in the Rogers dorm is where I asked Christ to come into my life. Now, for those of you that are wondering, where is Rogers dorm? The, 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 the monument of where I got saved, they tore it down. <laughs> I don't know what that means. That could be a bad sign. I don't know. But anyway, I was in Roger's dorm, and these two guys came up, and the one guy I found out later was training the other person how to share his faith. So they're out on this little routine training exercise, and they ran into me, and about 30 minutes later, I was asking Jesus to come into my life. I was so hungry. I was so needy of the truth. And you know, I believe there's people around us that were like me kind of low-hanging fruit. God's speaking to them. God's doing something inside their heart, and they just need someone to come and say, hey, what do you think is going to happen to you when you die? Or do you believe in God? You know, do you have any spiritual beliefs? Just a simple question is all they used to get me into a spiritual conversation. And by the end of the conversation, they said, do you want to know what the Bible says about how you can know for sure that you're forgiven and know for sure you're going to heaven? I was like, yeah, I want to know that. I've been longing for that. And when they shared it with me, I prayed to receive Christ right then. And I believe that there's people around us that are needy of that. And you know, when I think of um, this talk about th this statement, it's hard for us to be commanded to do anything. I think of, you know, when, when you stand up and you preach, sometimes you're thinking, God, how, how do I motivate people? Just tell me how to best share this with people. And I know I've been sitting there before, and sometimes I think, man, a story about my life, maybe they'll just want to go out and share or maybe they just need to be encouraged. Or maybe they just need to be motivated. But, but sometimes, you know, as a pastor, we have to stand up here and we have to tell you, this is a command. I want to motivate you out of just, you know, pure excitement for the lost. I want you to go out there and be like, oh, wow, this is a privilege to share our faith. 
But to be honest to the scriptures, sometimes we need to just share the bold truth that we are being told what to do. And just like my kids don't want to be told to go to bed, and they don't want to be told to brush their teeth, and they don't want to be told to clean up their room, even though we're grown-ups, we feel the same way. We wrestle with God. We're like, I don't want to be told what to do. But we have a holy God that loves us and knows best. And he said, if you want to follow me, I want you to go be a fisher of men. I want you to go out and tell people about me. Matthew 28, 18 and 19, you've probably heard this so many times, but it's, it's so important to just read again because it's this other bookend and it's this foundational thing of what all of our churches are, are, are focused on. After he rose again, it says that Jesus came to them and said, again, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, if we just focus in on that, what's the first thing that Jesus said here? I mean, this is crazy. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I mean, can you imagine being in Jesus' presence and he says that? Uh, imagine how crazy bold it would be. Matt Party, I stand up and say, good morning, welcome to H2O Church. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You know, you'd be like, whoa. Yeah, hopefully you would head for the door as quickly as possible. Okay? That is a bold statement for some good moral teacher to say. Jesus knew he was God. Jesus knew that all authority on heaven and earth was in his power. And he says, in regard to this, therefore, because I am the God of all creation and I deserve the worship of all mankind, I want you to go and make disciples of everyone that you see and have them baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then I want you to teach them everything that I taught you. And don't worry, I know you're going to be worried, but surely I'm with you always in this mission. So that's the mission. That's the great commission. Is that we, they, they went and they did that. The disciples went and they found people and they made them followers of Christ and they taught them everything. And then they went and made more disciples and they taught. And that generation has come all the way to you and I and we are handed that same baton in second Timothy it it expounds on this even more preach the word you and I be prepared in season and out of season correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Paul is reminding them about this mission. And it is not always going to be well received when we go out and we preach. Because there's going to be other people that want to have other doctrines that tickle their ears. 
There's going to be other people opposing this that say, I just want to go with these myths or I want to go with these other things that feel right or sound good, but they're not of the truth. They're not of the capital T truth. And so you and I, what do we need to do? We need to keep our head. We need to keep focused. We need to keep going out there through all hardships and share this truth in love with everyone that we meet. You know, when my kids were playing soccer um, a while back, I remember going to those first few games. And if you've ever gone to a kid's soccer game, you're going to know what I'm talking about, how they're all just kind of running around in this little blob of people. They don't know how to spread things out, and they don't know how to pass or anything. And, and, uh, I, and I remember for Max and Bella, when they're just in this clump and the ball's just there, it's almost like a rugby scrum, you know. And, and I found myself just always yelling, like, just kick it! Kick it! You know, just like get it out of there and go. And, and sometimes when the kids are playing and they're first out there, they're a little tentative. Maybe if you were a kid and you played soccer, you're just like, eh, I don't know if I want to do this. You know, and people are kicking each other's shins. And, and so, you know, imagine your kids out there playing soccer. Imagine if you don't have kids someday, your kids out there. And you notice week after week after week, your kid is so tentative that they're never kicking the ball. And the other kids are kicking it, and maybe a couple kids are scoring some goals, and they're all celebrating, but you just notice your kid's just running around and never kicks the ball. And you say, hey, Johnny, Mary, whatever, um, you know what you should do? Kick it once in a while. And they're like, no, no, I'm good. I'm having a great time. And, and you notice, like, they love the jersey. They wear the jersey to bed at night. You know, they love having their friends on the soccer team. They love practice. They're, lo- they're running around, and you're thinking, yeah, they're getting exercise. They're not watching TV. This is fantastic. They're out running. They've got friends. They're wearing the jersey. And they're like, yeah, I'm on a team. Maybe they even get a little picture, or they get a little trophy at the end of the year. And they're doing all these things, but they never kick the ball. They never score a goal. That'd be kind of crazy, wouldn't it? It'd be kind of ridiculous. Well, you know, I have noticed in the Christian life that many Christians are like this in regard to sharing their faith. Some of us are on the team. We love going to Bible study. We love going to church. You know, we're running around doing Christian things. We give a little bit of money, we do this, we help out, and and we love the idea that we're on the team. But one of the most important things of being a Christian, of why you and I are still here, is to help other people get to heaven. And they could go through their whole life and never share their faith. That's as abnormal as it is to be on a soccer team and never kick the ball and you see God wants you on the team he loves that you're on the team but it isn't just about the jersey and the trophy and the picture and running around this team has a purpose and the purpose is to kick the ball and score goals that's how you win and our team is trying to help people out there that are suffering in their sin And they're alone, and they're lost, and they're hurting. And he's he's tapping you on the shoulder. Get off the bench and go in there and, and help them. 
And it is one of the most exciting, joy-filled things of the Christian life. I know for me to share the gospel and see people come to know Christ and get baptized like in that video that we just saw. It's so exciting to see my wife in our neighborhood a few years back reach out to our neighborhood and love our neighborhood. And she's so good at this. And after she builds that relationship, she started sharing more specifically and asking spiritual questions of one of our neighbors. And she was so spiritually interested. She had so much going on in her life that was underneath the surface that was just so amazing. And how Mary Lynn led her to Christ. And she said, I'm ready. I'm ready to put my faith in Jesus. And to just see the excitement in my wife and in all of us and in her and how that's changed her life and she's married this good Christian guy. I mean, that is exciting. That's the goal. You know what they do when they score those goals in soccer, how they just yell for like 20 seconds? Oh, and they just keep going and people are taking their shirt off and running on the side and sliding on the grass. That's the exciting part that God wants to invite you to be a part of. All right, let's move on to the third thing. The next thing that a lot of you say to us is that I am not feeling confident in my life or in my knowledge. I can't do this. I want to do it. I just can't. My life's kind of messy still. I'm not a perfect person. And if I get into a spiritual conversation, it could go bad because I just don't know what to say. I don't have the whole New Testament memorized. I didn't go to seminary. Um, they, here's the big thing. What if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? Oh my gosh! The end of the world. It's okay to say, I don't know. Let me, let me look that up and, and get back to you. I would hope that all of us, no matter how long we've been Christians, sometimes we're going to get a question. You're like, that is a great question. I don't know. Let me think about that. That is totally okay. And if God was going to call perfect people to share the faith, there would be no one in mankind to share this message. I mean, you just read a few chapters of the Old Testament and see who God was using in the Old Testament, and it will personally boost your confidence. I promise you. Okay? These were some messed up guys, sinful people that God put his hand on and said, you are going to be my messenger. But here's the most powerful thing in Acts 1.8. When you feel this insecurity, when you feel this lack of confidence, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, really the answer to this question, if you're not feeling confident in your life and you're not feeling confident in your knowledge, you know what God would say? Good. I don't want you to feel overly confident. I want you to feel confident in me, in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is out there convicting the world of sin. The Holy Spirit is out there doing the work. And even if we are not very eloquent and these, these jumbled words come out of our mouth, there's something supernatural going on that is way beyond us. And so there's nobody that's overly confident and knows it all. I still get butterflies when I share the gospel with people, but it isn't about us. And a lot of times our eyes are just so focused on us all the time that we don't really do what God asks us to do. 
But if you get your eyes off of yourself and onto God, and, that, and he'll tell you, like, I'm going to give you power. I'm going to help you in this. I'm with you to the end of the age. It's going to give us confidence to share. If you're struggling with something like this, there's a book called Out of the Salt Shaker that's really good. Rebecca Pippert. And this is one of the uh, quotes from her book just about sharing with people and outreach. And she said, Our problem in evangelism is not that we don't have enough information. It is that we don't know how to be ourselves. We forget we are called to be witnesses to what we have seen and know, not to what we don't know. The key on our part is authenticity and obedience, not a doctorate in theology. Isn't that so good? You don't have to share what you don't know. You have to share what you do know. And I know many of you know a lot. You know a lot of verses. And God has done awesome things in your life that that has changed you. And you might not think it's significant, but God does. And other people will listen to your story. And when you say, look, I'm broken and I don't know everything, but here's what Jesus is doing in my life, people will listen. It will affect people. And you don't have to be some theologian. You just need to be yourself and share your story. I was so proud of my daughter the other day, Bella, my my middle child. She's 10. Okay, I hope this gives you confidence. It convicted me and gave me confidence. She got to share the gospel with somebody at school recently. It was right before Good Friday. She goes to a public school. And we've been telling her they just transitioned from a Christian school to a public school, and we're just trying to coach them and encourage them in this. And some kid during right before Easter, he's like, Good Friday? That's dumb. What's so good about Good Friday? Didn't Jesus die that day? It's a good question. He doesn't know anything about Christianity. Well, Bella spoke up, and she said, Well, you want me to tell you why it's Good Friday? And he's like, Yeah. And she said, it wasn't good for him. It was good for us. He died for us because we have sin and he wanted to take it from us. Man, I got emotional. I was like, Bella, that's so awesome. You just shared the gospel with that little guy. And you know what Bella said? I do what I do when I can do it. <laughs> I was like, all right. You know what? <laughs> That's a good slogan, Bella. We do what we do when we can do it. I want to live by that. So my little 10-year-old was out there sharing the gospel. We can do it, too. People have questions. Why is Good Friday called Good Friday? It wasn't good for us. It wasn't good for him. It was good for us. That filled me with so much confidence. Here's the last thing. What if people think I'm weird or they reject me? Maybe this is the biggest one for some of you. What if they think we're weird? What if it goes awkward? We would go to the the longest lengths to avoid awkwardness, wouldn't we? We love comfort. We worship comfort at times. And we really hate rejection. Well, I want to calm your fears on this. If you're worried that people will think you're weird or reject you, let me just tell you, they will. Okay? You don't have to worry anymore. 
I guarantee it will be weird at times. And people will reject you. You don't have to wonder. Jesus made things awkward for people. Jesus is awesome. Jesus was the best evangelist. Jesus is our hero. And if it was awkward for him and people rejected him, then I want to be in on that because he's my hero. And I know you feel the same way. You don't have to go out there and have this majorly unhealthy misconception that everybody is going to embrace you when you bring up spiritual things because they won't. Here's a bell curve that I, we were at a conference a couple weeks ago, and I thought, wow, this is awesome. I want to share this with the church when we talk about this. And they, they, he was talking about how these bell curves explain so many different things. But here's this one thing, is, you know, when we look at the outside of someone, we don't know what's going on in their life. We can try to guess and predict, but we don't know. But this bell curve was explaining that, you know, sometimes this, this portion of people's lives on your left, they're in crisis. And we don't know that, but this is probably one of the big times in life where they're asking some spiritual questions. And you're going to run into some people in crisis. Not that we can see it again on the outside or that we target that, but just as we're out sharing and we're kind of throwing the seed of the gospel it's going to fall on some people that are in crisis. Maybe when you became a Christian, you were in crisis. On this other side, there's people in this calling mode, like they're hearing something from God, different than they've ever heard before. Now, the hard thing is this whole middle area of the bell curve, that's probably where most people are. They're not thinking about spiritual things. They don't even know that they're aware of their, they're not aware of the need in their lives. And the seed is going to fall on some of these people. And you're going to think, gosh, that was not worthwhile. But I can't tell you how many times we've shared, and maybe you've shared with people in this middle area, and the seed was planted, and it did not take root for years later until maybe some crisis happens in their life. Or God speaks to them in this calling season, and they're like, wow, I remember that person asking me about God. I remember in college, Joan was a girl in our church, and she loved to share with people. And she ran into this guy in crisis in college, and his name was Nate. And Nate was in, I love this story because it's just the, the work of how God works. And he was in a, a, a secular school in a poetry class. It had nothing to do with Christianity. And as he was reading these poems, and, and, and a non-Christian, these poems were stirring up something inside of him that he had never thought or felt before in his life. And his, he was like in tears every day. He was really upset. He didn't know what was going on. He was literally just kind of melting down, okay? But I, I knew the guy in the dorm. He looked like just a normal guy. He did all this in secret. And Joan was in our church, and Joan walked into the dorm one day, and here's her gospel presentation. She said, Nate, I've been wanting to ask you, what do you think about God? And he broke into tears with that one question. He was in crisis. And Joan was like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And he just like vomited all that was happening through this poetry class. And he's like, I just don't know what's going on. I don't know why I'm feeling all these things. And she shared the gospel with him and he got saved. God is going to run us across people in this situation. And that's not the norm, but it, it can happen. I was the person, as I shared before, in this calling thing. 
You know, I wasn't in necessarily crisis at the moment, but when they shared that with me, I heard God speaking to me, and I felt God saying to me through this quiet voice, like, this is everything you've always wanted. And when they asked me to ask Jesus into my life, I was like, yes. But you and I need to know as we go out and we look at this bell curve, God might lead you to some people in crisis, and you're not going to know that. Or he might lead you to some people in calling, but it's okay if they're not. Most people are in this area that it's not their situation at that moment. But God's going to use that seed in the future at some point. You know, to wrap this up, I just want to encourage us to be realizing the, the, the power and the influence that you have. You know, up in Toledo, um, where when I drive up there a lot, there's just been so much construction going on. It's been kind of crazy. I'm sure many of you have driven in that. And I'm the kind of person that really loves to drive. It's very peaceful for me. And I love to just get on a straight interstate and set my cruise control and just kind of zone out. I, li- I like that. In Toledo, with the construction, that's very dangerous. <laughs> okay? Because... Now, the, with all the barrels and new signs, and they change this, this exit ramp, and they change this thing, and now you've got to be over in these lanes, you've got to be like on guard all the time. And when it's dark and rainy, like sometimes I'm like really focused on like, where in the heck am I? And they need to put those signs up that say new exit or new lane or new this or get over to this side. And those signs are so important. You and I can be those signs for people. They're kind of just on cruise control in their life, and they're not thinking about these things as much as they should, and you and I can be these signs. And here's a quote from a book I'm I'm reading with Dominic, my oldest son. He's reading Screwtape Letters for his school, and it's a great book from uh, C.S. Lewis. If you haven't read that, it's a super powerful book. And the Screwtape Letters, just to explain this, is these conversations between demons. And these demons are trying to ruin the people that they're influencing. And the one demon's name is Screwtape, and he's training his younger demon named Wormwood. It's a fascinating book, awesome book. But here's what Screwtape says to Wormwood. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. That's powerful because the enemy wants people to be on a mindless cruise control. But you and I get to be those signposts to point them in the right direction. So as I pray, I'm just going to pray that we'll respond to this call that You know, if you're in college and and you're taking classes this summer, you're going to have all kinds of people around you to influence. If you're going to LT, you're going to have people out there in Colorado to reach. If you're in the city, you know, you're going to keep working in your job and you have your neighborhood. There's going to be people all around us this summer that need to hear the truth that God loves them and he died for them. So let's pray that we would respond to that calling this morning.